Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Strictly NFL, hosted by me, Khan, of course, and my co-host, Jeff. We got a pretty decent playoff race heating up for a lot of the wild card spots. Some divisional winners decided already, but, you know, a lot of, a lot of drama still left to be decided. Um, uh, we got a Giants-Jets mock draft coming for you soon, after a little bit of talk from that Saints-Rams game last night. And before we hop into everything that I just mentioned. I want to let everybody know that all the major sports are in action this week, especially with the college football playoffs ready to start. BetOnline is your number one destination for all sports wagering info, including pro football, NBA, upcoming fights, UFC, uh, and NHL games for this season. So you can head over to their website, betonline.com, to get in on the action and see all the live updated odds over there on their website. Remember, if you use the promo code BELIEVE, which is B-L-E-A-V, all caps, get 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So get over there, head over to bet online where the game starts. And start with some Saints Rams talk. I think it's funny that the same Saints team that dominated the Giants last week was the same Saints team that was on the field last night. Just shows you how far away they still are. But neither here nor there. Um, this is not going to be a Giants conversation. I'm not going to make it into that. So uh, how would you feel, Jeff? About the Saints-Rams game? Yeah. I thought it was a pretty terribly played game by the New Orleans Saints. Um, I thought the Rams just pretty handily took care of business. I don't think the scoreboard reflected that at all. The Saints got a couple late touchdowns. But I also thought McVay made a couple of pretty brutal mistakes. Um, That 48-yard field goal he kicked on fourth and two after throwing a deep ball on third and two was just – very, very surprising given the game situation, given who his kicker is. I mean, you're up 10 nothing. I don't it it's never it's very rarely good to go 10 to 13 or three to six, just anything like that. You're not you're not really even gaining that much. Um and the Rams kicker has been bad all season long. They brought in Mason Crosby for a little bit because the kicker was struggling so much. It just it was a very weird decision. And Again, if you're going to make that decision, you can't throw it deep on third and two. So I just, yeah, I just didn't understand any of that. But beside that, they, they were they were good pretty much every time they had the ball in their hand. Puka Nakua is just ridiculous. I don't, I don't know how they just found him. Uh, as Cooper Cup is starting to wane off, just the tiniest of bits. All of a sudden, they have another one. Um, Stafford's ability to get the most out of these guys. Uh, somebody tweeted it earlier today. I mean, like, he's responsible for two of the greatest fantasy seasons of all time. And <laughs> um, now we're seeing one of the greatest rookie receiver seasons of all time. Um, I I wouldn't – I don't know if I'm going to say that I wouldn't want to play the Rams in the playoffs, but, like, if I was the Lions, I definitely wouldn't want to play them. I'll say that. Uh, you know, Stafford is dangerous – 
as I just said, they have a couple of receivers. They've still got good players defensively. So, yeah, I mean, I think I came away from that being, as a football fan, glad that the the Rams won because the better team won, and that's just better for the product And if they, if they make the playoffs. The Saints are just terrible. I mean, Derek Carr is – look, he, nobody deserves some of the things that evil people say on the internet, but holy shit, the Saints fans not like him at all. Dude, they they hate him more than like the deepest Daniel Jones haters hate Daniel Jones, and it's yeah. Like, granted, I'm not gonna co-sign what they say, but I'm also not gonna tell them or just say that you know they are reaching or anything like that. Like, bad quarterback play is frustrating, and I know you can relate seeing Russell Wilson last year. Yeah, but even that, like. I don't know. I just, I first of all, I've never been the biggest Russell Wilson fan ever. So I hated the trade from day one. Uh, but even as someone who was kind of biased against Russell Wilson as a Broncos fan, it was clear to me watching last season that it was on Hackett and just his awful, awful rigidity and his scheme. And I think we're seeing that in Denver this year because Russ has been fine. Um, yeah. Derek Carr, on the other hand, I'm not watching things that are like, holy cow, cow, is he being held back? I'm watching a guy who just, like, is lost out there. And there's a reason the Raiders moved on from him. I think the Saints will move on from him. I'm surprised that they haven't just played Jameis already. I know Jameis is probably too volatile for some coaches' likings, but you got to do something, man, because Carr is just – he is not it. And, you know, for as bad as I think the Saints have been, they're 7-8. and eight. They're right there at most, at most after this week, there'll be a game out of the playoff or out of the Jesus, wild card. Out the, no, no, out of the, well, the wild card, but also there'll be a game out of uh, first in the NFC South. Oh, yes. Um, Cause that yeah. division's such dog shit and they have an, and they have another game against the Bucks. So even if the Bucks win this week uh, against Jacksonville, which is looking a little bit more likely with Lawrence not practicing, um, the Bucks will only be eight and seven. The Saints are seven and eight, and yeah, they they play each other one more time. I think if you're the Saints, you gotta do something. I don't know what that is, but I don't know how you can just keep rolling Derek Carr out there. That's in Tampa next week. That game, which potentially right. divisional deciding. Um, yeah, that watching that game. I don't, so- I, I don't, I don't know about potentially, Con. I think, I think even if the Bucks lose and join New Orleans at seven and eight, I think if the Bucks win. It's just I don't know if either Atlanta or New Orleans will have a path because I think Tampa will have both tiebreakers clinched. I could be wrong, but I'm I'm pretty sure because I know Tampa beat Atlanta in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, do, do 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 Tampa Bay and Atlanta play in Week 18? Is that is that the Week yeah. 18 matchup? Yes. Okay. So maybe if Atlanta wins out, Atlanta could still win the division. Maybe, but I think I think New Orleans is definitely eliminated from winning the NFC South if they lose to Tampa next week. Yeah, for sure. And and I'm not even taking the Falcons serious. Like aside from Arthur Smith stuff, it's it's just like they are not clicking and they're going back and forth. This is going to be the second time that they've benched Desmond Ritter. There's they've benched Taylor Heineke for Desmond Ritter before, you know, I think two or three weeks prior. So they don't have they don't have it going on. And that's it is what it is. They're not they're not going to be a serious team these last couple of weeks. I'm going to give an early bet online shout out. If you want to gamble on Sunday, bet Drake London overs. 
and I'm with Khan on not taking the Falcons serious, but Drake London's over Drake London's both his catches and his yards are too low right now. He hyper hyper target London. Um, I just think combination of Colts pass defense and yeah, I just, and, uh, game script stuff and London's just really good. I think, I think the Falcons are weird. I think the Falcons are weird that way. Like if, if you're coming, if he's coming off a game like London had last week against the Panthers, I feel like they're intuitively going to target him more. Um, and I'm burying the lead here. All the fun, like DFS, uh, gambling projection stuff loves London this week. So, uh, you know, Con, if you want to keep taking care of business in our DFS league, dude, Drake London, Drake London is like 5,100 or some ridiculous price this week. I've fallen so flat in that in that league. So for for context, for people who don't know me. Me and Jeff have a DFS league with like 20, 18 other people. Twenty people. Yeah, dude, you're in fourth. What are you talking about? But I was in third, and I was like right there for first. And now the gap is like what a hundred something points between me and first place. Yeah, you're actually going to be in fifth though, because. Um, so I don't know if you noticed my younger brother didn't submit a lineup last week. Okay. Which is obviously a huge error. He was in first as you know, he's been in first all season long. Um, but because this is a friendly league, I, my rule is if you forget to submit a lineup, you get last place, last places points minus one. Okay. So I don't, I don't, I just don't want to like fully punish people because we're busy, you know, people are, hopefully most of us are, all of us are adults, you know, that. People got shit going on. I don't want you to just be like, oh, you're fucked if you if you screw up one week. Mm-hmm. So uh, my spreadsheet hasn't updated that. So Brent's going to pass you. But um, so I, I agree with that rule too, by the way. I think that's I think that's a good rule. Yeah. And there you go. So I've dropped two spots, not just one. So I'm twice as bad as you thought. <laughs> oh man, Corinne's in third. Good for her. That's my uh, one of my best friends' uh, wives. That's so cool. Man, this is ah, I, I these DFS leagues are so fun. So basically, you know, if anyone wants to, I basically run a league where every week you set a DFS lineup, and I'm in like a private league, host it, it's just free, and then um, I keep both individual weekly standings and see, and then I add up the points each week and put them in a spreadsheet and keep a season long standings as well. So we have like a weekly re- league and a season and a year long league. It's a ton of fun. Highly recommend. I love that format. And just to kind of circle back over to that Saints game, um, that watching that game made me so frustrated with our game plan as a Giants fan going into that game with them last week because Derek Carr just got to sit back against us and just do whatever he wanted to do. He got to read a defense without Chris Olave there to help him, you know, just be an easy outlet at times. And – Wink talked about this a little bit in his interview. Uh, I think it was yesterday where he just talked about scheme and stuff like that. And he said that they thought they did a good job of limiting Kamara while, you know, they had so much time on the field and all that. And I understand they're, they're, you know, a pretty stressed unit with just how much time they do see on the field and all that stuff. But with Olave there, the Rams said, all right, we are going to take away Kamara. We're going to see if you can live with that and then we're going to get pressure on you so for the giants as as a blitz heavy you know dc to be running the show with backup tackles for the for the saints with disease with cave with decks 
to not be doing more, at least simulated pressures, right? You don't have to rush six all the time, but you can have four on the line, five on the line. You drop somebody off the edge into coverage and have somebody else come from the, from the weak side. Like there's so many different things they could have done to win that game. Maybe it was a tank job. I don't know. Cause the stuff that they did stuck out to me like a sore thumb. And I think there was a lot of potential there for turnover creation, just to add more volatility, more volatility to the game. And they just didn't do it. Yeah. And on the Saints side, last night's game highlighted that they need to get Alave even more involved. He's just always open. Uh, that dude's awesome. And the Camara thing is just confusing to me. I don't, is it like a rule? Like just, does Jamal Williams' agent put it in his contract that, like, when he's signed by a team, he just he has to play over better players no matter what? Because this is this is the second straight year. This is this is happening. Yeah, I don't know if it would be happening if Kendra Miller was healthy, but I mean, as far as I know, he just gets declared out. Like, is he is he a healthy scratch half the, half the time? Because Miller. Yeah, because I get the notification like right before the game. It's like Kendra Miller, um, like is out. Oh, he okay. He was active yesterday. Um, but I think yeah. they just like those guys. I think I feel like the the correlation between the type of person who becomes a head coach and an infatuation with like you know gritty grinder types is like just one big circle. You know because it happens everywhere. Like every single team that has one of these electric running backs that just makes it happen. They're just dying to play somebody who's clearly worse at football. So, you know, I have to be open-minded if they're all doing, it, I have to be open-minded and humble enough to accept that maybe they know something that I don't, but from the outset, it doesn't certainly doesn't seem like it because, you know, the bills, they waited 15 weeks to give James cook the full reins. Yeah. Like for 15 weeks, I was like, why are Damian Harris and Latavius Murray taking drives away from James Cook? Like, I guess sometimes he needs a reprieve. But James Cook needs to be playing on the field for 90% of these snaps. This guy's amazing. And, you know, but no, this, they know, you know, Latavius Murray, he just has that thing between the tackles. And it's like, I don't think he does, you know. And I feel like the Lions are going to find the same thing out with Gibbs. Gibbs had 100 yards on 11 carries last week. And that wasn't, like, all built off one run. It wasn't like an outside pitch. No, dude, that, that dude can run between the tackles. He's a talented runner. And his his snap share, I'm just going to say, his snap share has been embarrassing. Like, even if you believe David Montgomery helps you in different ways, you want to do a thunder and lightning thing, have them both on the field sometimes then, dude. Like, you, you yeah. just can't have – you can't go drives without Jameer Gibbs seeing the field. Um, and Kamara's just – I don't I don't know. It just felt like – it felt like he wasn't on the field for some of their most important plays, and that just makes no sense to me. Yeah, I agree. And with Gibbs, I know he played 45-ish percent of snaps, and Montgomery played 52, right? So when you have Amon Ross St. Brown, who got kind of limited in that last game, you we've said this how many times on here. Your best personnel package, if you're the if you're the Lions, is 12 personnel with Gibbs somewhere out as a pass catcher. Because if you have that bias to Montgomery as a running between the tackles, have that bias. He's been, he, contrary to what you think, Jeff, he's been pretty damn good this year. Like, specifically in games where he does share with Gibbs, you know, like they kind of go back and forth between the carries, he he plays real well. And um, he gets those kind of lower expected yards um, carries, right? Like, 
he gets all the between the tackle stuff. So of course his yards per carry is going to be a little bit lower. And it's just like I I love Ben Johnson. I think Ben Johnson is going to get a head coaching job. I think he's going to be a stud wherever he goes. But that is the kind of limiting stuff that you see NFL teams doing. You're just like, man, it doesn't have to be this way. You, it's kind of like the, I want to coin this term. It's like the Arthur Smith, what, effect facade theory, something like that, where you don't have to use a guy every play, but you have to make him a threat every play, right? So he has so many plays where you might not want to use Bijan on this carry. You might not want to use London on this route. You might not want to use Pitts on this route. But you have them out on the field because you have to instill a thought, right? It, it, essentially, he's being a decoy, but you have to allow them to be a decoy while maintain, maintaining them as an option in the offense, if that makes sense. AJ, AJ Brown kind of touched on it this week because he was talking about being a decoy in the Eagles offense and how he'll run these concepts, but the play overall is not looking to get him the ball, right? Like uh, like the Shahid touchdown last night. Like uh, Alave ran the post that took away the safety, yeah. and Shahid behind him ran a post to the or a corner to the other way, and he was just wide open because Alave was clearing. Alave got the attention and cleared out the help, and so yeah, uh, Shahid Shahid gets a fifty yard touchdown because of it. Shahid gets the fantasy points, he gets the yard, but that doesn't occur without Alave. Works done by Olave. And his gravity, right? So exactly. And the like all all I'm gonna say is just get creative and get outside the box for your thinking. Because at the end of the day, you don't have an X, right? And you have a defense that bleeds points, at least in the past game. You bleed yards, you bleed everything in the past game. You are gonna have to be more explosive and committing yourself to only playing one of those guys at a time brings down your ceiling and it and it limits you to, to what concepts you can run on offense. That's that's my then in my soliloquy with them. Yeah. And by the way, my I, I have nothing against David Montgomery and I know he's been fine. The point is, is that when you use a first round pick on a running back, Bijan Robinson, like Algier, who's been terrible this year, was fine last season. He was a good runner of the football last year. If you told me that they didn't draft a running back and they were like, okay, we're going to make Tyler Algier our number one back. I would be like, yeah, that's fine. He's a good running back. Like I, I would have been fine with that to go into the season. The Falcons drafted B. John Robinson. You fucking use B. John Robinson. It's not that hard. The, my disdain or whatever word you want to use has nothing to do with David Montgomery. It's that you use the first round pick on Gibbs. He's electric. He's actually outproduced expectations. Just play him more. I don't, David Montgomery playing well, isn't good enough for me. Like they, you need to use the better player more to me. It's that simple. Maybe to other people, it's not that simple, but that's, if I come off as exaggeratory, that's, that's the reason why it has nothing to do with David Montgomery. I know. I I, I like poking fun though. And to me, like, yeah, you want it like using Gibbs in and of itself positive because like you said, on a rookie contract, you're getting all that surplus value from his touches and yards that he creates at whatever cost he's at, right? Whatever his cap number is. To me, 
it's not even the best to use him as a running back, even though you drafted him as one. Like, you line him up in the backfield with Montgomery. I still don't want him taking carries, even if you like using Montgomery as like a lead blocker or something like that. Like, I want him to be running wheels, Texas routes, options out of the backfield. Like, I think honestly, he should be at eight to ten carries a game and eight targets a game. He shouldn't be a pure running back because his skill set is more than that. So you you also extend his career, which whatever. Maybe yeah, were. I'd give I'd I'd give him a few more carries, but I, I agree with the the baseline that we're the the general idea of what you're going for. Like you know, I'd be in like the ten to fifteen carry range, and then still give him like he should be getting twenty touches a game, as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because you know they they have Saint Brown, who's amazing. They have Laporta, going to be in the league a long time. Great player. Look, Jameson Williams, that dude is. You know, I keep using this word. That dude is electric as well. Like that, you know, they, they've, they've, uh, I don't know how much lions people are watching, but they have this new play where they try to leverage the run to create, uh, to get an end around for Jamison Williams so that he can get space get the ball in space. That dude is fucking fast. Um, if he figures out route co- route concepts and his hands get a little bit more consistent, I think he could be a really, really good receiver in this league. So the Lions clearly have something going here. They just got to figure out the personnel, and I think Gibbs is going to be a big part of that. Yep. Um, leaning a little bit back into that original topic with the game, Matt Stafford is just – there's not a lot to say about him. Like, he's still one of the best passers in football. Do you think he's a lock Hall of Famer? I, I, I wouldn't say lock Hall of Famer, but I think he gets in at some point. It's funny because, like, I feel like Giants fans are probably so offended by the question, like, because Eli's on the fence, you know? Um, yeah. And the percep- – let's just say the perception of Eli, as someone who's kind of delved into Giants territory, the perception of Eli everywhere versus the perception of Eli amongst Giants fans – is one of the widest gaps I've ever seen in my entire life. It's very, very interesting to me. And I think I tend to fall in the more pro-Eli camp. Like, I I think he has to be a Hall of Famer. Um, but I don't know. Some I, I'd imagine most people listening to this probably don't think I'm pro-Eli enough because there are a few quarterbacks that I think I would have taken over him. Like, if you reset their careers, I would take over Eli that, you know, if I step foot in – uh, met life and gave that opinion, I probably get punched in the face. So I'll just, you know, I'll, what Philip Rivers, uh, Rivers, Romo, Romo. I, I don't have an opinion on that, but I, I just know that I wouldn't take Philip Rivers over him. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I'd have to delve deeper into the stats. I mean, look, can't take away 2007, 2011 from Eli, those are special runs. Um, I'm just too much of a – I understand. I, I think I think I, I obviously am a little bit less emotionally invested than most people when it comes to those, and I'm not saying that my, makes my opinion better. Of course it doesn't. Um, but I do think that 2007 and 2011 carries so much weight for people in these discussions. And to me, there are – you know, if you're comparing them to Rivers or comparing them to Roma, there's 10, 15 other seasons – that have to be involved for some people. It just ends with, well, he won two Super Bowls and they didn't. So boom, cut and dry. And I think that if you're making a resume based 
to, if you're having a resume based debate, there is no conversation. Like Eli just had the better career. My whole perspective and maybe what I weigh differently than other people is like, okay, you can only control so much about who you're drafted by, you know, all these things like you can only control so much. And so I try to combine like what you actually did with how much you can control and what would happen if you reset and, you know, a career occurred in a vacuum. Again, I'm not asking everyone else to subscribe. I'm just trying to get people to understand where, where my perspective comes from. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you, you know, ran out a hundred careers, I think that Rivers would probably be the more successful quarterback over the a greater percentage of the time. I don't know that to be true. That's just the basis of my opinion. You're entitled to your opinion. <laughs> I watched Elon Manning hoist the Lombardi, so I will not be commenting further. Well, yeah, but, of course. Like you wouldn't <laughs> change it. You wouldn't change a thing, yeah. of course. And I would never expect you to. So I think it's just one of those things. You know, it's easier for me to say it from an outside perspective, where a Giants fan is just like, "Dude, fuck you! I'm riding with I'm riding with ten forever." <laughs> and I I totally get that opinion too. What I would say though is, assuming Eli makes it in, I think. Stafford deserves to go on an earlier ballot. That's where I think I'd be on it. It's also just so weird. Like, how do you even compare? I don't – like, I know there are really, really good stats that adjust to, you know, competition and adjust to the rest of the league. I get that. But just a lot of these Hall of Fame debates are like, oh, he threw for 50,000 yards and yada, yada. And it's like, okay, everybody's doing that these days, you know, and – so I don't I don't even know where you begin. Um, I do believe, by the way, you know the last thing I'll say about Eli. When you watch old games and you watch old film, and I, f- I feel this way about Young Peyton too. They have a lot more arm talent outside the pocket than they're given credit for. Like I feel like a lot of people believe that the Mannings kind of fall in the Tom Brady. Okay, they were great, but they are super high IQ and they did all their damage in the pocket. You know. But you watch young Eli, you watch especially young Peyton. I'd say this is more true for Peyton than Eli. Um, but both, you see a lot of stuff happening outside the pocket, and then their their arm talent really shines, you know, early in their careers when you when you watch that tape. Yeah, for Peyton, I can't speak too much on that, but I mean, for the Giants, I mean the arm talent was on display in that in, in both of those Super Bowls. With with both of those uh, big time throws to Tyree and to uh, Manningham down the sideline, so I'm glad you said it because it's from you and it's not from me who's biased. And then uh, just with with Stafford, like I think he has to get credit for the fact that his receivers, as insane of a talent as Calvin was, as insane as insane of a talent Cooper Cup is, Calvin. Was he with Stafford his whole career? Stafford came in after Calvin, correct? Correct. Calvin Johnson was 2007. Stafford was 2008. They were back-to-back. Okay. So you can't really speak to Calvin without him because it was just one season. But is it a coincidence that Cooper Cup popped with Robert Woods still there when Stafford came over? I have. I'm going to expand on your point here because I have a hot take about Cooper Cup. I don't think people realize how much of his career and this perception of him is kind of based off of like one season. I feel like there's this insinuation around him that he's been doing it forever. You know, like he's just, he's guaranteed production. Like 
let me ask you this, Con, and I, I I hope you haven't pulled up the stats. No. How many thou how many thousand yard seasons do you think Cooper Cup has in his career? I think it's I'm a, I'm remember I'm also a fantasy nerd, so I I think I know this. That's fine. I think it's That's fine. two or three. It's two. Yeah. Don't you don't doesn't it feel like like Cup's already Cup's already 30? Um, I believe. Yeah, he's already 30. And he's been going at the top of drafts for five plus years. Four, 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 four seasons at least. I just feel like there's this idea that, like, oh, you get Cooper Cup. And look, he had a really great 2019, 94 catches, eleven hundred yards, 10 touchdowns. 2020, COVID season, he played 15 games, 92 catches for 974 yards. Last season, he was at an elite pace, but he only played nine games. This season, not so great. 10 games, 49 catches, 658 yards. His one super superhero season was he had Stafford. Like, he had a full season of Stafford, and he has 145 catches, almost 2,000 yards, 16 touchdowns. Like, look, this is not Cooper Cup shade. I you watch the guy run around it's 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 a thing of beauty but i do think that like stafford is more responsible than people are giving credit for like i feel like when people talk about stafford it's oh well he just went to cooper cup and it's like i don't know man i think it might be a little bit more the other way around than people want to give credence to you're not wrong um a lot of it is injury too like he had that that real breakout year in 2018 and 2019, where I think he had like 1,300 yards, somewhere around there. 2019, he had 1,160 and 10 touchdowns. Okay. Um, He was on a pretty nice pace in 2018. The uh, 2018 was the um, Rams Super Bowl year, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. 2018 was the year the Rams not, – not won the Super Bowl, but they, uh, they, they lost to the Patriots in the Super Bowl. And uh, that was the season, if everybody recalls, when the Chiefs played the Rams on Monday Night Football and had and played one of the greatest games of all time. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I forget what the that, final game, score that was. game was. Post Cooper Cup torn ACL, no? Correct. Yeah, Cup was not in that game, and that's my point. Is he tore his ACL that year? Then he came back in 2019, had a really really good season. Um, 2020 COVID, not so good. 2021 Elite. 2022 was going to be elite, but he got hurt. Actually, 2022 could have been better than 2021, honestly, at least from a catch perspective. Um, and then, you know, this season hasn't been so great. So, Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean not a cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New 
new episodes of Fly on the Wallin drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallin wherever you get your podcasts.